Welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. All right, we're here. We're ready for Snorky Part 2. Yes. Good old Al Capone. Uh, we saw the rise to power occur in the first one. You know, his mm-hmm. birth, um, his family of immigrants living seven, seven deep in an apartment, and somehow he gets to the most powerful person in Chicago eventually. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of where we're kicking off. There's a lot more blood in Part 2. Uh, yes, that's what is. you're here for, I'm assuming. The downfall, so. right? Yes, the rise has already happened. Now it's time for you know a lot of bloodshed and then the ultimate downfall of uh, the pro- probably most popular gangster of all time. That's right, old Snorky himself. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Kick it off, Michael, with your intro. All right, man. King of Chicago was just 26. If you needed a drink, oh, I'll have your fix. Hated by some and loved by most, but you knew Coast to coast, he made a hundred million dollars a year. How exactly I wasn't quite clear. Did confuse the tax man too. He said, You got some explaining to do. Al Capone, hey, he's Al Capone, Al Capone. Out of the way, he's Al Capone, Al Capone. Need what I say. Till later, he killed his best friend cause he was a traitor And the money always came first And losing respect was the worst They finally got a while, we did some time in a pen But it was only nine months and he was at it again Snapping necks and settling debts Until the syphilis got him and you know the rest of the world So we last left Snorky in 1925 uh, when during his first time behind bars, his longtime boss and mentor Johnny Torrio handed over control of the Chicago outfit to his younger and more ruthless successor. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah. So Al Capone is now in control. Torrio had just recently survived that assassination attempt by two of his rival gang leaders, uh, Bugs Moran and Jaime Weiss, yes. who had decided it was time for uh, to hang up his business. He decided it was time after that, after almost dying, then being locked up again, it was time to hang up the fedora, uh, the business fedora, and slip into his retirement fedora. Yeah, yeah, naturally. Naturally. Yeah, you don't give that up, you know. No. You just, you not just the transfer fedora. from one to the other. <laughs> right, right, not in the 20s. Come on, that's yeah. a staple. Yeah. I wish I could pull that look off. Dude, fedoras are overplayed now. It's like nobody can wear a fedora anymore. Yeah. 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 It, they'll come back. They'll come back. Don't worry. Right, Joe Rogan was even wearing one until Bill Burr got him. Got him. Told him he was wearing a little rascal's hat. Ah, <laughs> Bill Burr been seen wearing it since. <laughs> the king of roasts. Oh my yeah. god! I watched his. I watched yeah. that new uh, special on Netflix yesterday. Bill Burr and friends, or mm-hmm. Bill Burr and friends that kill. I watched it too. Uh, I would say about um, 
there was one comedian that I was pretty impressed with on the run. The rest were like, eh. Yeah, me too. Me too. That, the, the woman who was like over the top gross was fucking hilarious to me. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I loved her. I don't remember her name, but. Yeah, I thought Michelle Wolf was pretty funny on there. Yeah. Yeah, she was pretty good. I think she went on first right after Bill. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty funny. Funny one-liners in there for sure. Every comedian had their had their little their little time where they uh, made yeah. me chuckle. But uh, anyways, so Torio hanging up the the business fedora, getting the retirement one. He would serve a year of his pr- prison sentence for violating prohibition, uh, and then with a modest thirty million dollar retirement package he had saved up, he moved himself, his wife, and mother back to Italy. And from then on, uh, he only served as a form of counsel to or advice to former gangs. Uh, Dude, so, yeah, don't he you, would just don't you think ahead. this is best case scenario? Like if you're in the mob, this is how yeah. every mob guy imagines his life is going to be. Right? He's going to go out on top. Somebody tried to kill him, whatever, and he's he survived, and he has plenty of money to go back to the homeland and live in peace and take care of the family. It's like this is the whole reason they want thirty they started million this. dollars. In Italy in the 1920s, dude. I mean, you could own half that fucking place. I, I imagine that's what I'm saying. Like, what an ideal way for his story to end. Like, right? Unfortunately, Torio, yeah. unfortunately, Al Capone's story is not quite that, not quite that lavish. But yeah, Torio, man, he he uh, he laid the groundwork for what every mobster probably wanted for his life. Yeah, what you're always told is you're going to either end up dead or or behind bars for the rest of your life. Exactly. He broke the mold on that, although he nearly died. He nearly died. He was shot up and then put in jail and then decided enough's enough. Yeah, yeah, smart. Yeah. But his retirement left the vastly expansive and incredibly profitable Chicago outfit in the hands of 26-year-old Al Capone. Um, And so from here on out, let's see how his newly crowned king of Chicago ruled his kingdom. With blood and also a smiling face to the media and a lot of uh, wisecracks as well. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. So with Torrio leaving Capone in charge of everything in Chicago, he would leave the new boss with some parting wisdom before he headed out. His former boss, Torrio, told him to, quote, lay low, keep mm-hmm. your voice down, and not draw too much attention to yourself, at which point Capone just laughed hysterically <laughs> and told him to fuck off <laughs> and go retire, right. old man. Yeah, sure. Because <laughs> I'm going to do things a little differently around here. Right, right. Let me straighten up my three-piece suit and go get in my caddy. Yeah, I hear you. Right. He laughed while smoking a cigar with his $50,000 diamond pinky ring sticking out. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Walking around with an entourage dressed just as nicely. Yep. Yeah. That would be one hell of a souvenir if you were super rich and you like buying collectibles and shit to get Al Capone's pinky ring, dude. That'd be sick. Ooh. Are there pictures of it? Have you seen this? Yeah, I've seen it. It's out oh. there. You can Google it, man. It's pretty it's amazing. Pretty okay, I kind of yeah. want to look at it now. I'm going to look at yeah. it. And uh, if any, if history's taught us anything so far about Al, he's not exactly the type to take uh, advice or follow orders when it comes to how he's supposed to act. Capone would begin to change uh, the guard um, in leadership, but also a change in how the boss would handle themselves. He, you know, how countless gangsters and wannabes would represent themselves for years to come as well. So he, the whole vibe changed with yeah. him taking over. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. Did you get a look now, at that pinky ring? I, I'm looking at, I googled Al Capone's pinky ring, right? And you mm-hmm. come up, you got the silver one, right, with the big diamond in it? Is that the one yeah, you're talking about? It. Yeah. Okay, there's also a gold one that he apparently wore that has his initials on it. It has AC on it, and it has two smaller mm-hmm. diamonds in it. Uh, This one, man, this it one. It was the silver one. It yeah. It was the silver one that was 50K back then. Yeah, definitely the silver one. But you would think it would be solid gold, right, for that much, for that much money? Silver is a lot cheaper than gold. Even yeah, back then it was. But it, I think it's the diamond. 
it's that's the uh the oh yeah yeah the expensive part of the silver ring i'm it's just not saying so much if you're gonna silver. have a fifty thousand dollar pinky ring make it gold not silver hmm, maybe maybe he just likes silver he just liked the way it looks yeah. just like the look of it yeah yeah i don't know it's interesting yeah so so capone taking over did things a little differently as we keep mentioning he was donning a large white fedora flashy suits and expensive jewelry the big guy, or as he was clearly trying to portray himself as, was starting to truly live like the king he thought he was, even moving his headquarters into a lavish suite at the Metro, uh, Metropole uh, Hotel in downtown Chicago. Mm. So running his shit out of a suite in a hotel. Right. That's, that's pretty next level. I mean, you got security, uh, you know, you can't get checked in up, up to your room and whatnot with, without a lot of people seeing what's going on. It's kind, yeah. of, kind of brilliant. Bill Burr has a has a bit about that. He's like, I always feel safe staying in a hotel. He's like, because you know, yeah. you got you got people up front. If somebody comes in to shoot up the place, he's like, the the guy at the desk going to get it first. He's like, and you're going to have a warning, <laughs> and people are going to be yelling. He's like, but I don't stay at motels because he's like, you're sleeping in a bed, and then your door goes into a parking lot. He's like, what kind of yeah. sense does that make? <laughs> right. I feel exactly. the same way, dude. Motels. Yeah, dude, have you I don't ever, sleep have a you ever week in motels. Movie, uh, you ever watched that movie? Uh, uh, shit, what's the one with the big rig where it's like Candy Cane? You know that movie? Oh my God! Yes, I'm totally. Uh, I can't blanking think of the it. name of it. But People yeah, that, that's screaming at us. That right scared now. me out of staying in a motel like that. You know, <laughs> and also uh, Psycho as well. The movie oh, Psycho. Psycho. Yeah, Bates Motel. Same kind of man. motel. Yeah, Bates, Bates motel. motel. Yeah. Yeah. Same deal. But I'm, yeah, I'm pissed. I can't think of that movie. I've seen it so many times. Corny, but pretty awesome. <laughs> right. You'll think of it later. I'm sure. Yeah. Anyways. So yeah. Uh, Old Snorky would wear the double-breasted suits often to try and make himself appear taller and thinner. So he'd have the, you know the long stripes, vertical stripes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I don't looked know, it just up. Just embrace the the big bulky, you know, mafia yeah. character. Right, right. I actually had to look up a uh, double-breasted suit. I've heard this so many times, but I was like, mm. what exactly is that? But it's basically the buttons on both sides. So when you mm-hmm. see the guy with the with the big overlap. And then you button on both sides, and guys did that is kind of like a uh, kind of like a, a, a girdle almost. So you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you could in. pull that in, and that's what would, would kind of give you that slimmer. Man. Yeah, they didn't care. It was the twenties, right? You just, it's all about how you look. You Got to look cool. I'd you rather, really think I'd wearing rather do an hour of cardio a day and drop some lbs than wear a fucking suit that's choking me all the time. I know, right? It's just me. <laughs> Even in the summer and shit. <laughs> right. But yeah. God. And these dudes and also, wearing hats too. You're still busting at the seams. We can tell what's yeah. going on. <laughs> right. Your tailor's still using that industrial strength thread. Just, yeah. just bring them things together. So estimated to earn more than $100 million annually during his time as boss, Al would, of course, pay for anything on his wish list as cash as hopefully to avoid any uh, paper trail leading back to him. So yeah. he was reporting zero dollars on his t- on his taxes come on zero al it's like <laughs> making more than a hundred million dollars throughout like the 30s right i mean just look dude. at his car look at his like just look at one suit yeah. and you're like right. zero dollars zero he's like that just goes to show you the balls of this dude he didn't give a fuck he ran this town yeah he ran the yeah. town and got away with it for a and long time he sure did and sure. even when he did get busted uh for the you know for tax evasion it still was not the sentence that you would think. I mean, yeah, I know. Is it ever? It wasn't like a life sentence. Yeah, yeah. Is it ever? It doesn't seem essentially like was for him celebrity uh, syphilis, but well, that was different. He was going either way yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they threw the, threw the book harder at Wesley Snipes than they did uh, old Al Capone. Oh, for sure, for sure. 
Yeah. So spoilers ahead is this would become something that the courts would point back to him later at his trial as a clear sign of a man who would uh, who had a bit more than his reported zero dollars earnings <laughs> on his income taxes. A little bit. Capone would grow. He would grow the Chicago outfit exponentially during his years as boss, and as you think, uh, and you think can think of his first year as head of the organization as any new CEO's first year, establishing himself officially, taking over all of Johnny Torrio's territory, and also trying to paint himself in the public eye as a modern day Robin Hood. Uh, would take up most of his initial months as the top uh, at the top of the ladder. So yeah, he's trying to establish himself, make changes. Right. Um, right. Yeah, basically uh, consolidating all the power into himself, and all, but also trying to portray this outward persona of someone who's a man of the people, as we keep uh, mentioning in the first episode. Right. It's tricky because you have to maintain the respect of your men and your and your crew, but you also have to look kind and generous to the public. That's a that's a I tough. Wanted, tight I'd like rope to be a fly on the wall. I'd like to be a fly on the wall in some of his one on one meetings with you know you always have like that guy that's your right hand guy mm-hmm. as a leader. You know you you, you have a couple of trusted associates yeah i'd like to see the hear those conversations and hear the candid nature of how he really thought about things obviously he's trying to put it out there you know this this pub a positive public persona because he knew ultimately the people were who could bring him down more so than law enforcement he had Absolutely. those he had the, you know those kind of um avenues blocked off but if the if the people all stood against him and pushed the government to pursue him which we ultimately see later on mm-hmm. that would be his downfall that's why he tried to keep the public happy with him and on his side absolutely absolutely it's all, all them big big crime lords try to do you know yeah yeah it has nothing to do with him actually caring about these people it's it's more just a protection method absolutely self-preservation, Self-preservation. yep yep um, so there would be things that Al did in institute, however, that can be seen as beneficial, like allowing for black musicians to come and play in his speakeasies and for supporting the jazz movement that had begun moving its way up north, even going so far as to protect them when they were in Chicago and playing for his clubs, which is cool to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because jazz like wasn't very widely accepted then. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just kind of coming on the scene. It was like, uh, you know, it was like heavy metal in the '80s, hair metal and shit, like when it was first coming out. You know. It's like that's what yeah. jazz was in this instance. It's like you were yeah, a lower in, class like, citizen. You're in, Jim Crow time, you're in Jim Crow times, and jazz was largely dominated by black artists as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that that was part of it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's crazy because now it's like such a classy genre. Maybe one of the classiest. Like you like jazz, you know what I mean? It's just like yeah. everybody. If you listen to jazz, it's like you're you're cultured now. It's crazy yeah. how much it's changed, right? Yeah. Yeah, I want to. I want to listen to jazz. It's just like it's hard to find a time to listen. Like, what do you listen on your way to work? No. Like, <laughs> I, like when do you listen to it? Like, I, I maybe when I'm driving, like on vacation in a, like a, a beautiful area. Or, yeah. I don't know. Snowboarding, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like something that where I'm just like I'm chilling out. I was about to. Say, it's actually good. I feel like when you're working on something, like maybe you're yeah, painting or that. you're working on a project. Maybe you're assembling something. That's yeah. a good time to throw on some jazz. But like doing some painting or something. Yeah. But like for me, like jazz has to have, it has to have some type of beat to it. It has to be almost like a funk slash jazz. Like I can't get into that jazz. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just like every, it's like everybody's doing their own thing and you know, everybody's trying, everybody's doing a solo the entire time. I can't get Mm. into that. I can't get into that, man. If it's background noise. We get you can play instruments really well. Stop with the circle jerk. Seriously. Can we play, play can we play together please? Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Obviously, I don't know shit about jazz, but I'm just saying. Yeah, what is this? Battle of the Instruments? What are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, jazz was considered edgy and underground, so it would fit right in at the speakeasies where it was considered the cool to break the law. Of course. Um, but it wouldn't take how long, however, for old enemies to make themselves known again to the new boss. And in 1926, Capone would show everyone how things were really going to be done around Chicago during this time on the throne. He was not going to be a pushover. You know, he may no. wanted to keep a, a positive public influence, but you know, in in the streets where it mattered, where he was actually running shit, the violence would ensue. That's right. And you and, have to remember, he seems a lot older and he looks a lot older, but he's only 26. My man's full of gusto. You know what I'm saying? He's only right, 26 right. and he's yeah. ruling a crime lord. It's like, imagine the stupid shit you done at 26. Like, mm -hmm. it wasn't right. that... Imagine running an entire city at 26 oh and making $100 God. million dollars a year. Jesus. I'd it's, be a jerk off. Right? You'd be off the rails. Yeah. So much power, so young. Yeah. So on April 27th, 1926, three men would stop for a drink at the Pony, Pony Inn in Cicero, the town Capone's gang had set up shop in during the years prior. All of these men would have ties to Capone in some way, mostly all negative, however, two of whom had already been marked for death by Capone. Uh, but the third, however, just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, but also did have a connection to Capone. Yeah. Um, the two that were marked for death would be Tom Red Duffy and a gangster named Jim Doherty. Um, and their, their gang leader, William Klondike Odell's car, would, would speed away with them after this, this hit would occur. And it wouldn't matter because all three of these people would be killed. The third and innocent party here that was just uh, happened to be at the wrong time at the wrong place yeah. would be William McSwiggan, the prosecutor who had previously tried to charge Capone with dramatic, the dramatic murder of Joe Howard. Yeah, what a which coincidence. Which we talked about in the last episode. Yeah, right? It, it doesn't seem like it was as much of a coincidence as it's played up to be. It's like right? Capone would like to get rid of that guy. He was he tried to take down Capone in the courts. That's what I was going to uh, say. Like You said he was innocent, and, and yes, he is, but not to Capone. Right. You know, he sees him as an enemy, somebody who tried, literally tried to put him away. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I mean, and you got to think his crew would know about the prosecuting attorney, right? So, if they're there and they're shooting yeah. up these, like, wait, isn't that the guy? Just... <laughs> right mm -hmm. just take him out too i mean he's right there on the bar stool next to our other targets mm -hmm. I, I just can't believe it was an accident can you i mean really no somebody scoped I mean, out the there's place there's a lot beforehand. of collateral damage though there's a lot of collateral damage with this stuff and that's that's one of the biggest issues when it comes to organized crime and no doubt and gang violence is like there is an understood an understanding which we we've talked about in the past of like you're in this you're, you entered into this world willingly. You understand how it works. Like at some point, you're probably going to be taken out. Uh, but the thing that sucks for the public is how often there's collateral damage where there's innocent bystanders that are yes. killed. And sh you, we see it all the time in Chicago. We see it in you know yeah. in, in the past with uh, you know the, the mob violence that would occur where sometimes people who were just in the in the restaurant. Uh, yeah, where someone would drive by and spray bullets into it, you know, people would get hurt. Right, these Tommy Gun drive-bys were messy. I mean, mm -hmm. they were. It's it's yeah. just it's just a fact of it. It's yeah. a fact of it. Mm. So uh, after all the three men had arrived at the bar and were having their drinks, a car would pull up outside the establishment and multiple men would step out. The men opened fire on their targets with the barrage of Tommy Gun bullets, killing both. Uh, both of the men that were marked for death, and also McSwiggin, the prosecutor who had formerly tried to take down Al Capone. Right. Um, but this killing cannot be, of course, directly linked to Capone, just like everything else. Um, but it's still highly speculated that this was him that carried out this this hit, or, you know, had this hit carried out. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Supposedly, McSwiggin wasn't an actual target for them, but, uh, you know, you'd have to wonder. Well, you wouldn't want people to know that McSwiggin was a target, 
Right. Nick Swiggin is not part of the underworld. He's a prosecuting mm-hmm. attorney, and mm-hmm. you know he's on law enforcement side. You you don't mm-hmm. want any word getting out that McSwiggin was a target because then you have the law enforcement after you too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because so. that whole mentality we talked about where it's like, you know, gangsters get into it and that's kind of the risk you take. Yeah. And that's why a lot of times law enforcement uh, looks the other way with a lot of this stuff. But when you yeah. start killing prosecutors and stuff like that, now you're really pushing them. Exactly. Exactly. They and might start you're, sticking you're, their nose in there. Yeah. And then they might start getting federal agencies involved and everything else. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> And it would be a few months later in September of 1926 when a truly cinematic event would give the, bo- the new boss the first real scare of his time at the top. If you guys remember two of the guys from our previous episode we already mentioned once before, Jaime Weiss and Bugs Moran, mm-hmm. these two were about to try and finish what they started in the years prior after the murder of Dion O'Bannon. Um, after O'Banion's death in 1924, the Northside gang had basically fallen under the leadership of Jaime Weiss. And Weiss, still not ready to forgive the death of his friend and predecessor, had decided since he failed to kill Johnny Torrio that he would try again with his protege, none other than Al Capone. Right. And on September 20th, 1926, as Capone and one of his bodyguards, Frank Rio, were dining at the Hawthorne Hotel, they would be targeted by Weiss men as they drove by and performed a brazen drive-by shooting. And this is what we were talking about with the collateral damage. They're just driving by with Tommy Guns and spraying a restaurant through, a restaurant. The, win- through the front window. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. This, uh, this car would this car would speed by the front of the hotel's dining room where Capone would frequently sit by the window. I'm surprised he would sit by the window. You know, you'd think he would pick like the back corner booth where you could see the front entrance and have a, a rear so. exit nearby. But he's got to be getting real cocky at this point. Yeah. You know, he wants to be yeah. seen in the town. He doesn't, What? why is he hiding? He's just a mere businessman, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, to the public, to the public. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely see see your point, and he should have. He should have, but he had an amazing yep. bodyguard with him. Old Frank Rio yep. here took care yeah. of him. Yeah. There's mixed reports about how much damage there was at this restaurant. Some say there was tons with bullet holes uh, and some injuries, while others stated there was no damage. It's hard to believe there was none, you know, when you have <laughs> those uh, are people that, with Tommy guns. Those are people that don't want to piss off the mob. No, there was no damage. Uh, you literally yeah, have right. glass in your face, ma'am. No, no damage. <laughs> no, it's fine. Right. These, these were here before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, He's one one report stated a woman's eyes were injured uh, during the attack, and she would have lost her eyesight had Capone not paid for her medical treatment afterwards. That could have been also just bullshit Capone threw out there. Like, I saved this woman from being blind, and yeah. you know, I didn't even have anything to do with this. It also looks really good, though. I mean, and, and to be far, he really didn't have anything to do with the attack other than being himself. Like, you know what I'm right. saying? It's not one of his attacks that he that he called that that hurt this woman. So yeah. it makes him look even better. When he, you know, when he pays for her doctor bills, and she probably wasn't the only one either. It's just that's a really good example of someone yeah. that uh, that he helped. But, yeah, and you mentioned his amazing bodyguard, a guy named Jack Rio, yeah. who during the gunfire would throw his boss on the floor and lay over on top of him until the bullets had stopped. And only afterwards, looking up out the windows to see if the car was still outside or had driven on, him, uh, Rio and Capone would walk away unscathed. So. <laughs> God, this this hit this uh, hit attempt was pretty weak. Yeah, they're not the most accurate. They're like a you know like it's like Weiss's in, guys are like a bunch of stormtroopers. They just come in there and they just light the place up and hit nobody. Yeah, I mean these were not the most accurate weapons to begin with, but like also yeah, you're not you're not hedging your bets here. Like you could have sent in someone that they didn't recognize, you know, and, and like walk into the restaurant and as if he's just a patron and then get a headshot on Capone. That would have been a much smarter way of doing it. Right. Or couldn't they like pay off a a waiter 
or something and then take his spot and then like pour poison in his coffee like wouldn't that be such an easier thing to do and then you know take your apron off hang it up walk out like a badass and the next sip he's gone right gosh these guys and their tommy guns right yeah they're overthinking it bro yeah (laughs) so the assassination attempt on capone would actually cause him to do something that would seem out of character at first for the usually hot-headed former tough guy he would actually seek, seek out a truce with Weiss that he hoped would put an end to the revenge and give Capone a bit more peace of mind. A truce, however, would be rejected and in the end by Capone himself, as he would refuse to give in to Weiss's demands of handing over the men responsible for the killing of Dion O'Brien. Oh, you knew that was which coming. Which we talked about last time. Yeah. Dude, I, that's just, to me, that's so fucked. Like, this is why you don't want to be in organized crime or in gangs. It's like... It's eye for an eye orders, until everyone's you're, dead. You're still, you're so like in a you're between a rock and a hard place here. If you work for a guy like Capone or, you know, one of his, uh, one of his competitors Mm -hmm. in that, like you have to answer their orders. If you're, you know, pointed at to go make a hit, go kill someone and you carry it out and you attempt to kill that person or you do kill that person, what could happen and what often happens is what happened here where the other boss comes to your boss and says, Hey, we can squash this, but I got to, you know, we can't let this go unpunished. And we now have to kill the guy that killed our guy or tried right. to kill our guy. It's like, it's but like, the guy that killed your guy was just following orders. He didn't yes. want to kill. <laughs> yeah, it's fucked. Yeah, it is. It is. The lower level guys are just peons, man. They can be, they're so yeah. easily replaced. Mm-hmm. They really are. Yeah. Yeah. It's eye for an eye uh, until everyone's gone. Thankfully, Capone refused to give in to that. So he wouldn't give up his guy. Um, at least you can that's, say that. That's ridiculous. That seems ridiculous. Yeah. Like, cause the guy who's, I mean, that guy was following Johnny Torrio's orders. Johnny Torrio is not even in the boss anymore. Like mm-hmm. it just seems pointless. I see Capone's, I, I, I can understand Capone's decision there, yeah. but, he, but, but if the roles were reversed, he'd probably want the same thing though. Wouldn't he? Yep. He would want justice. Yep. yep. Oh, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so this likely included uh, his former employer and friend, Frankie Yale, by the way. So, mm-hmm. uh, And it would just be a few weeks later on October 11th that uh, after Weiss and four of his men were se- uh, seen leaving a jury selection for a murder trial of one of Weiss's associates, that uh, revenge would occur. Uh, and they were most likely trying to bribe the jurors or anyone else involved with the case, which is why they were there. But after leaving the jury selection, Weiss and his men were crossing the street towards the flower shop that had previously been run by O'Banion and the place of his murder when two gunmen who had been hiding nearby opened fire on the entourage with both a Tommy gun and a shotgun. And of mm. the five men who were attacked, two of them would lay dead after the shooting, one of them being the intended target, Jaime Weiss. Got it. So... Al Capone's crew, much better shots, much better, uh, you know, effective killers yeah. than the Northside gang were. Yeah, a little bit. But, I mean, their targets were, like, walking across the street out in the open. Exactly. It's, that's, that's part of the hit. Like, you, you, they, that's they true. were smarter Timing. the way they carried it out. Right. Yeah, there was, no, yeah. there was no cover for them. They were out in the street walking. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you on that. Yeah. Mm. Still so, only got again, 20% of the targets, though. Or 40%, True. rather. But they got the one that they wanted, most True. importantly. True. So, again, it is at least three there for us to say. Uh, it's at least there for us to say that Al did try and make peace with his enemies for the first time before eventually reverting back to his more classic Scarface approach to just ridding with, uh, riddling them with bullets. <laughs> right. Um, and now with Weiss dead, leadership of the Northside gang would fall to Bugs Moran, the other man who attempted to kill Johnny Torrio and 
this often happens. There's a power vacuum that's created. You take one out, and sometimes the guy that replaces them is even more of a pain in the ass, and that seemed to be the case here. Mm-hmm. Bugs Moran would be a, a thorn in the side of Capone for years to come. Yeah. And eventually prompt the bloodiest event of all Capone's time in Chicago. Yep. The Valentine's Day massacre, yep. right? Which that's going to be a fun mm-hmm. thing to talk about here in a few minutes. Oh, yeah. But it would be in 1928 that two major events would occur for Capone. He would uh, purchase the Palm Island Mansion that would eventually be the final castle. And more importantly to his empire, he would have to deal with an old friend's betrayal. In 1927, Capone would begin to notice some products starting to disappear uh, before it would ever make its way to Chicago. So he's got someone uh, Uh ciphering off the top here. It's not a good idea. Back in New York, right? Yeah. And it all seemed to be stemming from one specific hub in Al's organization, his old stomping grounds of Brooklyn, New York, which was under the watch of his friend and former employer, Frankie Yale, who Uh-oh, Frankie. we just mentioned he protected, um, right. you know, that he Copone get, could have given him up and squashed the beef, um, but he, he chose not to. And now this guy's stealing from him. Mm. Yale was in charge of receiving bulk of the bulk of Capone's booze that was coming in from neighbors to the north, uh, our neighbors to the north. So they were clearly coming in from Canada, it right? Seems. Um, and ensuring that the product would be loaded and sent on its way to Chicago. However, Capone and his men began to notice that some of their trucks weren't even making it out of Brooklyn and decided to place a spy in Yale's crew. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that tactic rather than yeah. just jump into conclusions on who you think it was and killing them. Like, let's get a spy in there and figure out what's really going on. Right, right. Before you kill Frankie Yale and he has no idea that one of his employees is skimming. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This tactic would turn out to be to provide them with the answers that they were searching for, but coming at the price of the life of the spy that Capone had sent in to keep watch over Yale. After learning of Yale's treachery, Capone's spy, James D'Amato, D'Amato, tried to shoot Yale on July 1st, 1927. He failed, however, in his attempt, and a few oh. days later, he was gunned down on the street corner in Brooklyn. If you're going to take out the boss man, bro, you can't miss. Yeah, dude. Uh. It's... Once again, timing. Like he doesn't know you're a spy, so you you have that on your side. The element of surprise. I don't know how you fail you know, in a hit attempt when you have that on your side. It, I would be pissed if I was Capone. I'm like, what? You tried to deal with this yourself? Like you found out he was a spy, and yeah. then you immediately no. You should have came back to Chicago. We come up with a plan, then we go back mm-hmm. and talk to Frankie. Because you know, once again, you invite him on a golf trip, make him sit up yes. front. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. The old piano wire. Yeah. Some brick boots. That's bada right. Bing. That's right. We drop him off for a swim on our way. Yeah, he swims. With, he, sw- he swims with the fishes. That's right. That's right. Come on, man. Yeah. So Capone, then possibly out of sentimentality or respect for his former employer and loyal soldier, decided to invite Yale out to see a boxing match oh, in September of 1927. That had to have been an awkward night out, right? Well, I, I would. I'm guessing. Well, Yale does know about it because he just killed his his uh, their employer. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But maybe he doesn't know that Capone sent him, but he has to know. He right. has to know. Okay. So they would they would go to an in- interesting uh, historic boxing match, the rematch of Gene Tunney and Jack Dempsey that would ultimately go down as a very controversial and famous fight in and of itself, which would be held on September 22nd in Chicago, and it would be end up being called the Long Count Fight. Um, and that's called that because Tunney was knocked down in the seventh round, and the count was delayed due to Dempsey's failure to go and remain in the neutral corner, which... Uh, gave uh, gave Tony more time to recover and effectively um, may have had a, played a role in the outcome of the fight uh, when it went to decision. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, so Dempsey is... I mean, we know there was a lot of corruption in boxing back in the day, so maybe oh, Dempsey... God, yeah. 
did something that every boxer does where they take their time going back to the corner, but the, you know, the, the referee may have been paid off and, you know, yeah. basically gave Tunney more time to recover than he was supposed to get. Why does it even matter that the boxer goes back to the corner before you count? Exactly. Why does that fucking matter? It doesn't make any exactly. sense. The man just got it's not hit. like he's still punching him. The man just got knocked off his feet. Start the count. Yeah. Yes. What are we doing? Yeah. Hmm. So Capone and Yale would sit together at the boxing match and discuss everything that had that had gone on, but it seemed that the two would walk away from the fight in worse terms than they had started out with, uh, and their former relationship was in ruins. Yep. And once Yale returned to New York, the relationship would continue to fall apart as Yale would was heavily distracted by another gang war and was dealing with at the time. And it would take almost a year, but Capone would finally deal with his betrayal in a scene that would uh, that could be an inspiration for one that would later appear in The Godfather. On July 1st, 1928, a phone call came in to the Sunrise Club, a, clone, a club that was owned by Frankie Yale. The caller stated that there was an emergency with Yale's new wife at their home and that he needed to get there as soon as possible. Ignoring offers for a driver, Yale ran out to his new Lincoln and headed off down the street. And it wasn't long before a black Buick pulled up alongside his car in a light at a stoplight and he was able to see the multiple armed men inside taking aim at him. Mm. He sped off from the stoplight while the men opened fire from a variety of weapons uh, with, with the Lincoln Yale uh, driving. It had recently been outfitted with armored plating, which you would think would have saved him, but just like uh, that of Capone's Cadillac. Um, however, Capone's Cadillac had the bulletproof glass and Yale's did not. And so you got to go all the the way with the bullet. I know like you reinforce the doors, but you don't reinforce the glass. That's really the weak point. That's where they're shooting through is the glass, homie. Yes. And you're sticking up above the glass. All of your vitals are sticking up above the glass. So all of these bullets came crashing through the windows and a shotgun blast and Tommy gun round both hit Frankie Yale in the side of the head, killing him instantly and sending his car crashing into the side of the road. And the killers would then drive away and ditch the already stolen car a few blocks away and leave the weapons behind as well. And, you know, as we just mentioned, it, it was similar method. If you've, if you've seen The Godfather, the, I, I think that this is where they got the idea for the, the murder of Sonny Corleone in that film where he gets a call that his sister's been beaten to a bloody pulp mm-hmm. uh, by her boyfriend and he f- f- runs out of the house with no protection and that's where they get him out of a toll booth yep. and, and execute him. A lot of times, they'll, it seems like they'll use a car bomb or something. You know, when they get somebody to run to the car by themselves, they'll just blow them up mm-hmm. as soon as they turn the key. Yeah. You know? That's what I thought was going to happen here when I first was reading about this. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, man, he's about to get car bombed. <laughs> yeah. But nah, even worse. Even worse. Yeah. yeah, a lot of times the car bombings go off when the you know the the party has no suspicion at all it's just a normal day and da 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 they get in their car whistling and then boosh that's it it's over so this killing would not only set capone's finances back on track but also sent a message to anyone that al was not someone to betray and uh if he would have one of his oldest friends taken out like that there was no telling what he might do to someone else that's true it's very true you're Always. always replaceable in organized crime there's always somebody looking to take your spot Always. Mm-hmm. Yep. So in 1929, the positive public opinion that Capone had been working on so hard to cultivate during his time as a businessman, quote unquote, would soon come crashing to an end, as it was during this time that for society, that the country was beginning to take interest in what we would now consider to be celebrities. And it turns out there was no bigger celebrity at the time than the self-made king of Chicago, Al Capone. He loved talking to the press whenever he had the opportunity and always trying to paint an image of himself as a self-made businessman who was trying to help out the community. 
happy to walk around and flaunt his lavish lifestyle while answering it to any reporter who would ask him questions, always with snarky responses. <laughs> but none of Al's wit or charisma would be able to sway the court of public opinion after what would soon become the bloodiest and brazen gangland shooting of all, pro- all of Prohibition, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Mm. Pretty fucking crazy story here. Um, as mentioned before, Bugs Moran, the successor to Jaime Weiss and Dion O'Banion, was now the leader of the Northside Gang. And he, as we mentioned, was a pain in the ass to Al Capone and had long been a problem for him uh, and was one of the few people who would ever be a rival to his power in Chicago. So on Valentine's Day in 1929, Capone would organize an attack that he hoped would bring an end to the vengeance once and for all. And after a previous murder attempt on one of Capone's trusted friends, the Chicago outfit decided it was time to hit back at the Northside gang, this time, however, being a bit more devious with their tactics. On the, Mebu- on the morning of February 14th, Moran and some of his gang were lured to an old garage on the north side of Chicago under the guise of purchasing a large quantity of whiskey. Upon his men's arrival at the garage, however, they were approached by two men who appeared to be police officers wielding shotguns. Thinking this to be somewhat of a standard shakedown by the cops, the gangsters calmly complied with the commands of the two intruders and lined up facing against the wall. The two men dressed as police then proceeded to open the front door of the garage, allowing two more men to enter the building. However, the two new arrivals had shown up. Uh, they were dressed in formal, uh, in normal attire, normal all except for the Tommy guns that they were bringing in with them. Mm. So these two police bring in two gangsters with Tommy guns. Right. Uh, the gunmen would then open fire on the defenseless members of the Northside gang, all while their backs were turned towards their attacker, turned towards their attackers. And after mm. the drums on their Thompsons were empty, the assassins would all exit the garage and disappear into the Chicago underworld, leaving only one survivor behind in the gangland-style execution. Um, and that would be that of a German shepherd who would be hiding, trapped behind a beer truck when the police arrived. So no human survivors, just a, a lone German shepherd. Right. I think one person survived the shooting but died on the way to the hospital or something. So he survived for a few hours. Yeah. yeah, And wouldn't give up anybody. Basically repeated, nobody shot me. Nobody shot me. Nobody. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. However, they didn't get their intended target here. Despite all of this uh, planning and everything else, they failed to get their number one target. because after the Northside gang members arrived at the garage, the assassins mistook one of the foot shoulders for the leader, Bugs Moran. This, mm. therefore, led, the, led the, gunman to, the gunman to start their attack too soon and kill all the lower gang members before Moran himself was actually there. And I, that's what Man. I was thinking when I was like, why would they think that the, the boss would show up for this whiskey deal, you know? I know, Especially right? in the first wave. Like, you, typically, if they, come, if they come at all, you would have your foot soldiers go in and, and clear the area first, make sure it's right. all good before you send in the boss because this could be some sort of a, you know... Uh, uh, like an ambush. For. A barrage, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe maybe Moran was smart. Maybe he hired a bunch of people that looked like him. That's what I would do as a mob boss. Like, right? How, what size clever. are you? How tall are you? What's your... Yeah. yeah. Hey, try on this suit. Oh, yeah, you look right. good in that. You look a lot like me. Yeah, go do this pickup. <laughs> Just have a whole crew of guys that's all the same size. Just curious, boss. Why are you dressing me like you? Oh, wait a second. Well, you know, if, see it's, what's going on if, here. if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for my crew, right? Yeah. Right. See, I can make an excuse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it is debated whether uh, he saw the gunman approach and fled the scene or he whether he simply arrived too late and missed everything altogether. It's a good time to be really late to something. Yeah, no doubt. But either way, the target of the assassination somehow slipped through Capone's greasy sausage fingers. And uh, Capone, of course, uh, as all good bosses would at a time like this, had positioned himself as far away from the chaos as possible, and he had been staying in the newly purchased Florida state uh, 
during the time of the killings and had actually been meeting with a local official at the time, giving him an airtight alibi as to where he was during the massacre. Mm-hmm. But I mean, of course he wasn't there. And of course he's going to separate himself from it. If, any, right. if anything, that kind of makes me think he did it more. The fact that he was, he made sure he was in another state, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, just we know, suspicious to me. we know you didn't do it. And it's like, that's not what we're, that's not what we're accusing him of. We're accusing him of calling right. the hit. Right. Yeah. But that's so yeah. hard to prove. In this yep. organized crime world, so hard to prove. So this event, however, would be the final gust of wind that we would say uh, would public, sway the public's opinion away from Al and the federal government's attention firmly in his direction. So this would be the one that would turn the public against him and mm-hmm. bring in the feds to try try and get him, uh, put him put in prison however they have to do it. Right. And this is when big government gets involved. It's at this point, once the papers and tabloids have exploited every drop out of the Valentine's Day massacre and the big businesses of Chicago start to get a little nervous of a man like Capone rising up in their social crusts, being the concerned citizens that they were, they decided it was time to get the federal government involved in all of this gangland chaos. And there was no hiding behind the glamour of his shiny cars, his fancy suits, um, as the Robin Hood persona he had tried to push out to the public had now begun to crack and fall away. To try and get himself out of the spotlight for a little while, however, he would make a bold decision that he believed would allow himself to lie low for a little while, and that would be getting himself locked up. Um, Al would allow for himself and his bodyguard to be arrested in Philadelphia in May of 1929 of counts of carrying deadly weapons, and within uh, 16 hours he would be arrested, and they would each be immediately charged and sentenced to one year in prison at Philadelphia's Eastern State Penitentiary. Mm -hmm. And... This being, of course, a planned ordeal for Al and his time in prison, he right. would basically live like he was on vacation. He would live like a king behind bars. Think, uh, think of um, Goodfellas when, uh, oh when yeah, the boss and when the boss and that is behind bars. <laughs> yeah, I'm having trouble thinking of his name as well. Yeah, it's not quite as uh, probably not quite as lavish as Pablo Escobar when he went to prison in Pauly, Colombia. That's right? what it was Paulie in Goodfellas when he was locked up and he's just got his own big old room and they're oh cooking. yeah yeah. They're cooking high-end meals and yeah. just chilling, drinking wine. <laughs> right, watching TV and shit, playing pool. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like Pablo Escobar, man. Remember when he had that yeah. whole resort in Colombia? <laughs> He's yeah, like, exactly, I'm going to build my right. own prison. He's like, right. uh, this is a resort. <laughs> right. <laughs> Living lavish. Yeah. yeah, so he does his time. He gets that one-year sentence. And having a private cell with all of the amenities of a nice hotel room and, of course, only having to serve a nine-month sentence for his wonderful behavior. It's easy to, you know, have wonderful behavior when you're not around any of the other inmates and you basically have half the prison to yourself to just, you know, do whatever you want. Right, right. And you have the full respect of everyone, so no one's trying you. You know what I'm saying? Like you're a, you're a king in there, even to the Yeah. Yeah, even to oh, the yeah. underworld. So Yeah. yeah. Um, but more important events were transpiring outside of the walls of Capone's prison cell. As Treasury Agent Elliot Ness had begun building a case against the Chicago Kingpin for all of the prohibition violations that the feds had hoped that they would be able to throw at the big guy. Elliot Ness, the man who was most commonly tied to the downfall of legendary, the legendary Al Capone, was born in Chicago on April 19, 1903. And after graduating from the University of Chicago in 1925, he would go on to join the U.S. Treasury Department in 1927 as a special agent. Um, and, uh, in 1928, Ness would be transferred to the justice department to assist in the prohibition bureau with all the crackdown on, with the crackdown on all the bootlegging operations across the country. However, his focus would soon be directed towards that of Al Capone when president Herbert Hoover, um, who had been getting more and more agitated with the gangsters bootlegging and even more so with the booze, uh, that they were uh, smuggling and, and passing around. He was very upset as well at his tax evasion. Yeah. Probably most upset with his tax evasion. 
Yeah, and it's it's the money that will get you taken down, man. You start dipping into the pockets of politicians and yeah. powerful people. That's when they're really motivated to get you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Always the money. So it, it would be in 1927 that the Supreme Court would decide that the criminals who had earned the money off of uh, legal activity still had to report the money as income on their federal taxes. It's like, <laughs> it's a, such a silly uh, thing. I mean, right, uh, right. Of, of course, like, I don't know. Like, that's it's like basically calling the police to say that someone uh, stole your drugs, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like it, you have to report your taxes for your criminal activities, the money you make from that. But it's just like now you're basically just ratting yourself out at the same now time. Now you're saying you do criminal activities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hence, tricky. How stupid do you think they are, huh? Hence why they got, they got more uh, complex with their money laundering over the years that follow this. Uh, as the mob progressed, you know, they would have business fronts that would supposedly make their income, whether it right. be laundromats or whatever it was. Exactly. Nightclubs. That's that's all Capone needed, but I guess that wasn't really a popular thing at the time. It wasn't that thought of. He just thought or if like he, he used he just, cash, there was no trace, and he would be yeah, fine. <laughs> he really needed some storefronts, you know, some yeah. shit to, to launder that money through. That's all he needed. Absolutely. Something. Some kind of excuse. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, like, for a man like Capone, who had consistently been reporting that he earned nothing on his income taxes, it was obviously apparent to anyone that he had an obscene amount of money at his disposal. And so on, uh, the IRS would begin to build their case against Capone for income tax evasion alongside Elliot Ness and his brand of untouchables who would be fighting the big guy in the streets to break up his bootlegging operations. The name untouchables was coined by a journalist named Charles Schwartz, who believed that the men to be a truly incorruptible and unbridgeable group of agents who would be the heroes to bring down Capone and his organization. But despite some valiant and impressive efforts by Ness and his team at dismantling Capone's bootlegging operations inside Chicago, it would actually be the number crunchers over at the IRS who would finally find and charge, uh, find charges that would bring the big man down once and for all. <laughs> so yeah, it's always those number crunchers, right? That IRS man, you can't fuck with the IRS. Yeah, because the feds who are trying to bring down the bootlegging operations, they're they're ultimately playing in Capone's game. Like he knows how to play that game. You know, he's already had. Uh, competing rival gangs like the Northside Gang trying to ba- bust up his operations in the streets mm-hmm. all along. He's kind of used to that that dirty game, but like the the number crunchers and the IRS, he doesn't know what to do with them. <laughs> He's been evading no. his taxes for far too long and not paying a dime towards any of it. So right, you get, I mean, and you're also talking about a guy who he dropped out of school at 14 years old. You know, he doesn't have the best yeah. education. I doubt he was taught how taxes work. You know, shit, we right. weren't. <laughs> Clearly, because he kept a detailed ledger, you know, that was kind of encoded, but easily cracked, especially when you have one of your own turn against you, that would Mm -hmm. ultimately take him down. And so a special intelligence unit of the IRS, headed by a man named Elmer Array, had begun combing through Capone's finances and federal documents as soon as the Supreme Court announced their ruling on criminals' taxable incomes. And as much credit as Ness gets for all the busting up of Capone's bootlegging operations, Elmer, uh, Emler Ray, Ray deserves just as much credit for building the tax evasion case that would ultimately put Al behind bars. In March of 1930, Al would be released from his cushy prison sentence in uh, Philadelphia to the hopes that he would return to his life back in Chicago as normal. However, things had changed during his time behind bars. The public opinion had drastically changed towards Capone and he would be placed in America's mo- most wanted list. Not only that, uh, but be labeled as public enemy number one which embarrassed and humiliated him to no end. So he went from this guy who was, you know, this jolly figure in Chicago, a Robin Hood type character to spending nine months in prison 
or in, in jail, you know, this cushy, lavish stay in, in jail, and he comes out and everything's changed. All of a sudden, the public hates him, the government's after him, um, yeah. and it's it's really like the beginning of the end here. Absolutely. Like, where do you go? I can't believe they even let him out with this type of resume now. They had to let him out so they can build their case a little longer. Right, you know? right. Get him for sure. Um, he had worked so hard to try and put off his high society celebrity image for so long. And now that the tides were finally starting to shift in a different direction, it seemed that the time may be running out for this kid from Brooklyn. Um, and while Ness was busting up breweries and dumping millions of dollars of booze down the drains of Chicago, Array over at the IRS was instituting a dangerous plan together uh, to gather information on Capone to help exploit the process of bringing down the big guy. They needed, they needed some hard evidence um, in order to prove that he was evading millions of dollars of taxes. And so they placed undercover agents inside the different levels of the Chicago outfit. And Ray was not only able to gather crucial evidence against Capone, but also able to flip two of Capone's bookkeepers into turning on their former boss. That's pretty impressive. Well, I'm sure he to, threatened him. He was like, you don't tell us and you're going down with him. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I mean, come I'm, on. I'm sure these guys that work for Capone weren't paying their taxes either. Right, exactly. <laughs> but they were probably able to forgive those uh, unpaid taxes if they were willing to help uh, build a case against Capone. Exactly. So. It was a trade-off. Let's not, you know, yeah. they, they didn't just convince them to go against Capone for no reason. They right. had him by the balls. They had him all by the balls. Yeah. Although I'd rather be uh, got by by the uh, be had by the balls by the IRS than by you know than betray uh, Capone, which could just mean you're getting dumped in the ocean in no time. Oh yeah, true, like, true. That was a big risk they took. Yeah, it is, no doubt. But they knew he was it, going down, though. Yeah, I guess they, it, the writing was on the wall, right? You mm-hmm. almost kind of like you're you're now you see which way the wind's blowing, and you're like, all right, I'm gonna this is my chance to get to the side, the winning side here. Yep. I'm going to jump ship right before it goes down. Mm-hmm. It was also during this time that one of uh, Ness's raids on a warehouse, during one of the raids on the web, they were able to discover a coded ledger hidden on a desk that contained countless entries and dates, all with amounts of money that could be directly linked to Capone. That is something that you have to keep on your person at all times if you're Al Capone. Like, mm-hmm. I guess he's not the one writing the ledgers out, though. Like you said, he you know, was not all that well-written or well-read. Like he didn't spend a whole lot of time in school. So he had these bookkeepers doing all of that. Right. That's the issue there. Therein lies the problem in that like you have to keep that, that information close to the vest on you at all times. They cannot ever find that stuff. That's what I was, that's what could bring you down. That's what I was going to say. If Al Capone wrote it himself, I can't see it just being stored in some warehouse. I feel like that would be something that's in his breast pocket or something that's, you know, buried out somewhere or, Mm-hmm. something like that i just i just can't see him just leaving it in a in a file folder in a warehouse somewhere or something I just, yeah so so now with this evidence in hand and the witnesses to translate the coded ledger the stage was finally set to dethrone the self-made king of chicago hoping not to face the same fate of his brother ralph who in 1930 was charged with tax evasion as well al would start planning with his lawyer to try and do anything possible to weasel his way out of this uh this justice that he was facing and after all the pieces were finally in place, um, Al Capone would at last be charged on March 13th, 1931 with income tax evasion for the year of 1924. And then again on June 5th, he would be indicted on 22 accounts of income tax evasion for the years 1925 through 1929. And then once more, for good measure, Al and 68 members of the 60 of the Chicago outfit would be charged on June 12th with 5,000 prohibition violations or violations against the Volstead Act. So 
they're throwing everything at them now. They're just trying to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. Yep. All of these tax evasion for different years and now uh, a bunch of uh, prohibition laws that they broke. Yep. And they can prove almost all of it too. Mm-hmm. And mm. in a lazy attempt to uh, at trying to brush the whole thing over, Al would have his lawyer go ahead and uh, regulate his tax returns and just say he made blanket statements of income for the previous years, stating such amounts as $100,000 for 1928 and 29 respectively. And this would allow him to enter a plea deal that would hopefully get him off paying significantly less, uh, getting get him off with paying significantly less than he truly should have owed, and significantly less jail time as well. And the plan to have Capone plead guilty and accept the lower plea deal, however, would backfire for Allen and his lawyers, as the judge presiding over the case, James Herbert Wilkerson, would choose to deny the plea, the guilty plea, and force Al into a jury trial, which was brilliant because as we mentioned, the public had turned against him at this point. No jury was going to let him off for what had happened. Right. Not with the, the press finally turning on Al and putting out all of the truth of what was going on mm-hmm. following the Valentine's day massacre, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Everybody was ready to see him hung at this point. Yeah. So it didn't matter what jury they brought in. I mean, they, they and also like the old tactics of, Scaring witness, uh, scaring jury members, paying them off. That wasn't going to work here either. No. He tried, no. though. He tried. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So considering his lawyers had expected the judge to accept the guilty plea, they had no time to prepare for the trial and were ill-equipped to defend the gangster in the trial of the century. And what proceeded was a highly publicized and dramatic trial that would see Al, all the, uh, Al up to his old ways in no time with trying to return, turn his charm on to try and uh, sway the judge and even trying to bribe members of the jury. Um. Hmm. This tactic, in fact, would be uncovered by Ness and his men during the course of the trial, and in a dramatic turn of events, the judge would actually switch out the jury for an entirely different one on October 6, 1931, just over a week before they would decide Capone's fate. So, wow. I've never seen that happen, right? Like, near the end of the trial, they switch out the jury just a week right? before a decision. So are you going to redo the whole trial? So That's what I would be arguing jury? if I was his defense. I'd be like, you brought in a whole new jury who hasn't heard the case. Yeah, and let's start like, over now then. Now we have to restart everything. Yeah, yeah they got to hear you our start working argument. those jury members and you tr- start trying to pay them off or scare them. And yeah. then just it's, and on and on it goes. Right. Well, I mean, changing a jury, that's pretty sketch anyways. Yeah, but it's, it didn't seem like the law or the court system was, was, was even uh, really wanting to do things by the book at this point. They didn't give a fuck. However, they could get Capone, and they had the public on their side, so they could do whatever they wanted, essentially. True. True. There would be no um, outrage. Yeah. And the tables continued to turn on the boss man when the surprise witnesses that were called to the stand turned out to be uh, his own former bookkeepers, and they were the very men who knew exactly the information necessary to crumble his entire empire. So I'm sure he must not have even known that they had turned until basically the trial, and then he's like, oh, my God, I'm fucked. Right. He's done. When he saw them guys walk up, yeah. he's like, yep, they got my books. I'm done. So finally, on October 17th, 1931, after just nine hours of deliberation, the new jury would find Al Capone guilty on multiple accounts of federal income tax evasion and would sentence him to a whopping 11 years in federal prison and one year in county jail. That's which, it? for all that he had done and all that he'd gotten away with, is pretty mild, really. Wow. 11 um, years. He would also... He would also have to pay fines of over $50,000 and his bail would be denied. 50 grand is nothing. That's he nothing. literally has a pinky ring that is that much. Like <laughs> That's fucking toilet paper to him. Right? One He's making 100 ring. mil a year and you fine him 50k. You know how much like how many millions in taxes he he evaded? Oh my god. That's that's crazy. Right? Claiming that he only made 100 grand a year. 
Mm-hmm. It's insane. So the tabloids and, and uh, papers had a field day with the trial of Al Capone, and it would be it would set the standard for what some, many celebrity trials in the future would become um, in time. And let's get to his prison time. He would initially serve the start of his 11-year sentence at the Atlanta State Penitentiary beginning in May of 1934. And it was here that he would finally be formally diagnosed and introduced to his future murderer, Syphilis, and where he would have hoped he could have uh, remained for the majority of his sentence. Um, Yeah, this start, the syphilis really starts to take its toll on him while he's behind bars. Yeah. Um, Despite being an easy prisoner in Atlanta and being competent at his time, at his prison job, Capone was using his previous connections and money to buy immense amounts of special treatment inside of the prison and once again was trying to turn his time in bars into another vacation. And since the federal government had already missed out on so much money from Capone, they never liked to be made a fool of. They figured it would be a good idea to send the former king of Chicago to a bit more intense prison, the newly established and infamous Alcatraz Island. God, and here it's he like back would be then, kind of, they could just send you to whatever prison they wanted, huh? Because I'm like, yeah, how man. the hell did he I mean, end up in Atlanta? He, he didn't have crimes in Atlanta, did he? I mean, right. they just threw him in Atlanta. They're like, ah, fuck it. Make him sweat down there in Atlanta. Like, oh, right. not enough then, for you? Send him to Alcatraz. I was going to say, he starts working angles there and starts kind of like forming it to his liking. And that's when they're like, nah, this this, this is not good enough. Nah, he's going to the highest of high It's security. like when you send your kid a timeout and they're in there having fun. And you're like, no, no, you go stand in that corner. Yeah. Go stand in the boring corner. There's too much cool stuff yeah. in that one. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so Capone would arrive on the rock in August of 1934 and would remain quote, just another prisoner there until 1939 when he would complete his term. And he was kind of made a bitch there, to be honest there. I mean, there was a lot more hardened criminals there than him Yeah, and guys that just didn't give a fuck who he was. And during his time, he would be stabbed by a fellow inmate, be mocked and bullied, be thrown into solitary for attempting to bribe guards and even be nicknamed the wop with the mop, which is clearly a, a derogatory term for an Italian. Um, and that was when he was assigned to bathhouse duty. So he goes from being the king of Chicago to now he's being bullied and working a mop cleaning toilets in the bathhouse yeah. on an island prison. That's quite the change in life. And he's also being uh, riddled physically with syphilis. It's just tearing him apart. It's, it's getting to his brain and, and starting to drive him crazy. Yes, it is. Um, however, it wasn't all bad as it did in fact turn out, uh, Capone was able to have a little bit of fun during his time on the rock when he was allowed to play Michael's favorite instrument, the banjo in the prison <laughs> band. That would be something to behold, right? Just yeah. To see that in person during that time. That would be pretty amazing. I would love to see Al Capone playing the banjo. Yeah. That'd be great. Uh, but this of course was just a part-time hobby and reward for him on occasions. And I imagine he had to be on his best behavior to even get that little bit of reward to be able to play the banjo for a few minutes. I can't believe they give him string instruments in prison, especially in Alcatraz. I know, right? Like one banjo string, you could, oh my God, you could do some serious damage. That place was just such such a fortress, though. Like They didn't care anything. if they killed you're each punished other. So, I was going to say, you're punished so much for any like attempt Yeah, that it just they just basically like... They were playing chicken with you. Like, go ahead, go ahead and try and do something and yeah. see what happens. You'll end up in the hole for however long we want. We'll beat the fuck out of you. Like, right. no one's going to do anything. We're on an island. What's going to happen? We'll bury you under this prison. Yeah. Right. Um, so it was at, during his time at Alcatraz that his mental faculties started to rapidly decline. And at this point uh, in his battle with syphilis, the disease had started to ravage his brain and began causing early ins- onset dementia. Dementia, um, And he would make and remake his bed for hours and sometimes be found just crouching in the corner and mumbling to himself in Italian. 
Mm. He would uh, spend his last year of his term at Alcatraz in the prison's hospital wing, at this point barely even aware of what was really doing, what he was even doing there. Confused and disoriented, Capone would be released from the rock on January 6, 1939, but it would then be time for Al to serve his one-year sentence in county jail, and he would be sent out to California to spend his term at the Federal Correctional Institute at Terminal Island. But this sentence would be halted in November of 1939 when Capone's uh, wife, May, would uh, appeal to the courts to have her husband released into her care, mostly, of course, due to his rapidly melting brain and incoherent ramblings. So he was he was gone at this yeah. point, and there was no no use in even keeping him locked up when he probably didn't even know what he had even done at this point. He was just completely gone. Right, right. And it was just a matter of time. And in the final years of Al Capone's life, that once powerful and dangerous king that ruled over the streets of Chicago was released, uh, was reduced to a drooling man-child and would spend his final years wandering around his Florida estate with little to no involvement whatsoever in the empire he had once dominated. After his release, it was clear to everyone in the outfit that the old boss wasn't who he used to be and the organization would need to allow uh, the Brooklyn native to retire with that little life that he had left. And he would have steady protection at his home for himself and his family. And there would always be the occasional visit from an old friend or associate, but associate, but that was about it. Gone were the days of the large white fedora, the flashy double breasted suits and the crowds of press following him everywhere he went. Yeah. And, uh, due to his fame and connections though, he would have one last small contribution that he would be able to, to be one of the Americans who would be treated with the newly mass produced miracle drug penicillin. But of course, at this point in his battle with syphilis, it was too late. There was no fixing the permanent damage that had already been done. And Capone would live out the remainder of his life uh, as a withering recluse and would die a shriveled shell of his once uh, former self. On January 21st, 1947, he suffered a stroke that would ultimately lead to his death four days later on January 25th of cardiac arrest. Mm. All at the age of 48. 48, He lived all of that life and withered away for years to ultimately die at 48. The man that was Scarface finally had his own ticket punched and left the world a broken and drippy dicked man, madman. Thank you, uh, Andy for this crime line. And we hope you guys enjoyed the two parter on Al Capone. Any final thoughts on, I mean, it it is Uh, crazy, right? 48, 48. What a, what a life everyone lived in those days. I feel like I knew just about, I mean, I didn't know like the the minimal, like the specific details, the individual hits and whatnot about the life of Al Capone. But I feel like I had a really good grasp on his character until I read about his his end, the end of his life. Like, wow, that's that's like that's the part nobody knows that he died at forty eight. You know, this larger than life character was was you know belittled down to nothing. This disease yeah. completely crumbled him, right? And there was no video then. There was not not a lot of photography, and I'm sure he didn't want his picture taken, or even knew what the hell was going on at that time, you know. So it, it's not documented, obviously, as all of his time in the limelight was. So yeah. Um, yeah, a short life, but a pretty a pretty exciting one, I guess. That's typically how it goes, right? You live fast, yeah. you live hard, and you live short. So right. every life is you take the good with the bad, but I didn't realize I didn't realize that Al Capone was gone so young, man. I really didn't. Forty eight's a good run for a, a mob boss, I suppose. I mean, I guess he he could have uh, been taken out a lot sooner, like in his late twenties. Uh, you know, like there was hit attempts on him. Had that one at the restaurant where he was sitting at the front window been carried out a little more efficiently. Yeah. He would have been ended right there. But then you yeah. know he wouldn't have been as big of a deal either. Mm-hmm. So. 
And you know, a yeah, lot of these, a lot of these mob bosses, man, they take over a mess, right? There's already a mess. There's already a disaster. Like, like for mm-hmm. instance, when when Al Capone came on the scene, he already had people wanting to kill him just because he's Torrio's predecessor. Yeah. You know, for no fucking reason. So it's like, yeah, no wonder these mob bosses don't live long when they have to carry the debt of everyone that comes before them. Mm-hmm. You know, and they have to carry the debt of anyone under them and what they do. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right, I guess. I guess 48 is is pretty decent. But, I mean, he spent the last 12 uh, in prison. So, really, he was only a mob boss into his mid-30s, if you mm-hmm. really think about it. You know, not yeah. that long. About our age, and he's already in prison and on his he on, got like on the a way solid out. Decade. He got like a solid decade of, of rain and then... yeah. A solid decade in prison, and then and syphilis just it. slowly killed him. Yeah, I, I don't... treated syphilis back in the day was a, a motherfucker, huh? Right. God, I guess so. But I, yeah, I don't, I don't envy him at all. I don't envy that life. No, I'm nah. happy with uh, even with all the ex- Joe Schmo. Yeah, even with all the extravagance <laughs> and all that shit. No, I don't want to yeah. be on my way out in my 40s. You know, if that happens, yeah. so be it. But man, that's a tough life, dude. Yeah, it's a tough life. But man. Great case, yeah. I'm glad we got yeah. this big hitter uh, out of the way. You guys enjoyed it. We got some. We got. We got the. Uh, we got our mob scratch itched for a while. I think That's our mob right. itch scratched. I guess Man, you could say. I hope so. We've done so much mob shit here lately. Right. I told Andy. I was like, bro, you on a mob run or what? What are you doing? <laughs> He's all, hey, what are you talking about? I don't know what the fuck <laughs> you're talking about. What are you about? talking about? <laughs> you calling me a mob guy? You, you watch your mouth, <laughs> right? You'll be swimming with the fishes in no time. That's right, man. That's right. Watch yep. your mouth and watch your odor too. Watch your body odor. That yes. could be offensive as well, right? Don't be yes. coming over here with your stinky ass body odor. Get yourself some Oh My Gaia. Right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh My Gaia, guys. We're going to make you an offer you can't refuse for your armpits. That's right. That's right. You got to get some Oh My Gaia in there. Because Oh My Gaia is an innovative, all natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while still maintaining effectiveness. And at Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben- and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And guys, regardless of whatever you're going for, there is a scent to suit you with Oh My Gaia, from vanilla to cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, uh, lemongrass, Egyptian musk. And you got bergamot amber, pear, sweet pea, sailor, barbershop. And of course, we have our own scent, True Crime Pine, made just for us here at True Crime Guys by Oh My Gaia, and we appreciate that very much. It has our old school podcast logo. If you've been around since the early days where our logo was uh, uh, mug shots of me and Lorne, uh, that is the sticker for the True Crime Pine jar. Pretty cool, really nice touch. Um, if you guys don't know where to start with Oh My Gaia, I suggest starting there. And because you're True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper for 15% off your order. That's creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, for 15% off your order at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. Again, that's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. You won't regret it, guys. No, you won't. You also won't regret checking out Tonic CBD. Tonic has uh, original formulas using CBD, adaptogens, herbs, and superfoods, and has been working to deliver the most effective, intentional, and sustainable products possible since 2017. Their farm-to-bottle CBD plus botanical blends are uniquely formulated to provide targeted support where you need it most. They have a bunch of different blends like Chill, Grounded, Flex, uh, all of which I use and love. Um, They combine CBD with different uh, antioxidants like black seed oil. 
um, which are great for your immune system. Um, I also love how you can verify the quality of their products by tapping your phone on the top of their uh, packaging and getting third-party lab reports, product information, details about their farm. Yep. And even uh, you can inform yourself with helpful blog posts to give you some more CBD education. So with values rooted in quality, integrity, and sustainability, Tonic is committed to creating plant-based wellness products that are good for you, good for the planet. Um, so visit, visit tonicvibes.com to learn more and use code word creeper to save 20% off your order. That's tonicvibes.com code word creeper to earn 20% off. And man, I can't say enough about these two sponsors between tonic and, uh, Oh my Gaia just yeah. got shipments from both this week to restock up on my personal supply. Um, and uh, man, I just love it. That's one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is like getting <laughs> connections to companies like that. And like, yes, yeah, man, it's excellent I, I got, small uh, companies, man. They're excellent yeah, small actually, companies that help us and, and we help them and, but they also care about their customer base. They're actually trying to make changes. You know, they saw a need and yeah. they're actually trying to make changes. Pretty amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just got a new shipment from Oh My Guy, and she sent me a tester uh, scent, which I fell in love with. And she has one bottle left because she made it for a friend or something. Yeah. Um, it's caramel and I think it's caramel and tobacco or something like that. Is the yes, scent. I need that. It's amazing. It's amazing. You don't, you can't have it. <laughs> I got the what? last jar. What? Unless she makes a new batch. Wendy, Sorry, bro. That's, I need some I'm, of that. I'm like one of two people that are walking around with this scent right now. And Wendy, I, I like that. I live in the tobacco state. <laughs> Come on. What are we doing? It's amazing. Come on, send your tobacco scent to North Carolina. We'll tell you if it's real or not. That's good. Right. I know it is. I know it is. Yeah. It's awesome. Man, might All be right. one of my new um, favorites. Yeah. We got some reviews. What do we got? Uh, oh, shit. I totally forgot about that. I'll talk uh, Patreon. Talk Patreon while I look up some reviews. Here. Right. Guys, we got to talk Patreon because Patreon, there's so much stuff on there. Like, we can't even mention it all anymore. It's like, I get tired of saying all of the, the shows that are on Patreon. But at patreon.com slash true crime guys, you guys can get access to everything we make here at the True Crime Guys Network, including all of the extra content for Strange and Unexplained as well. Every your monthly Sandu stories, your monthly True Crime Guys Patreon exclusive. Uh it's ad-free that you can't get anywhere else. And uh starting this month, we are putting some old episodes in the vault. So you'll start seeing the earlier episodes of True Crime Guys being archived and they'll be going to the vault which is also on patreon um but the good news is you can access the vault for just two bucks a month now you won't get access to all the extra stuff we do like just the banter strange shorts and do stories patreon exclusive five minute murder you won't get access to any of those things but you will get access to every um true crime guys free app that was released as well as every patreon exclusive on the two dollar tier so if you'd like to start there listen through all those and then bump up you're more than welcome. But we just wanted to make everyone aware that those old episodes will be leaving uh, the free platforms starting this month. All right. And yep. again, that's patreon.com slash true crime guys. Right. Uh, and where can someone go to get one of these bad boys? They can go to our freaking website. You know what? True crime I, guys patch. You know what? True let's do, let's put those on sale, man. Let's put them on sale. Let's get rid of these last ones. Uh, these patches are typically $15. $15 uh, shipped to you. Let's do 10. Let's do 10. $10, $10 shipped bucks. to you right now. You can go on truecrimeguys.com, click patch of the month. $10 shipped to you. I don't care if you live in Canada, fucking whatever, England. We don't care. We'll, we'll ship it over there. How about uh, also the next five people that sign up for that, the $10 tier on Patreon for the year? Mm -hmm. So you do the $108 donation or uh, uh, 
Yeah. You sign up and pay for the full year at 108 bucks. You also get a patch. Okay. The next five, the next five people to do that. All right. That and I'll good. take care of that. I've got, I've got five patches here. I can send out. Perfect. I was about to say, who's going to keep up with that? Cause <laughs> yeah. Right. So on. either donate 10 and get uh-huh. a patch or go to the $10 tier, get all of our content and mm-hmm. be able to do the, the creeper conversation on zoom and get a patch. Yeah. But you have to pay up front. That's right. That's right. So either way, guys, uh, let's scoop up these last little bit of the cult ship patches and we'll be moving on to something else. I'm thinking we might do the hush your mouth boy patch. What do you think? I like it. Like <laughs> you hush your mouth boy. Hush your mouth boy. Our old, uh, <laughs> our outro audio there that's from a uh, Sandu yeah. Stories. If you guys are unfamiliar, we did a Sandu Stories about, uh, was that the Lighthouse one? I think it's the it Lighthouse was, yes, one. Yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. And one of, one of Lauren's, my, my favorite line that Lauren has, you hush your mouth boy. So I had, to, I had to take that from the episode. And if you guys are wondering where that comes from on our outro, uh, that episode is on our Patreon as well. Oh. Speaking of uh, Sandu, uh, we have a review from the same person for True Crime Guys and Sandu this week. Okay. So I want to say a big thanks to Charles, uh, or Charlize, actually. Mm-hmm. Char- Charlize, uh, or Charlize26, says uh, about Strange and Unexplained. Uh, Strange and Unexplained says, uh, like hearing the different takes on well-covered stories. Good show, five stars. And then the same person says about True Crime Guys, thank you for the clear and passionate reporting on the lives of the victims and crime of crime and the survivors, as well as the beasts that torment them. Um, uh, five right stars for True Crime Guys. And she's in the U.S. So thank you, Charlize. Yeah, thank you very much. Very we appreciate cool. that. And if you guys have time, uh, if you've been a long-time listener, consider leaving us a review. We really appreciate that. Uh, if you're on Spotify, you can now rate your favorite podcast on Spotify. So you can mm. go on there, click five stars. Uh, that helps the show out a lot. We really appreciate that, guys. And also, subscribe on YouTube because this very episode that you're listening to is available in video format uh, on our YouTube channel, which is also linked right below the description of this episode. If you click uh, True Crime Guys link tree, you'll see everything True Crime Guys right there below the description. Click that link and you can go straight to our YouTube channel, subscribe, and get in on everything. We show pictures of what we're talking about. Um, what we're discussing on the show, and it's a uh, you know it's a little more in depth experience. So yep. All right. All right. That does it. That's it. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you next week for another freeloader episode before we venture back in Patreon the following week. Yes, we will. All right. Keep creeping, guys. Keep creeping. True crime guys in the desert. We like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down. Let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. True crime guys in the desert. We like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming. You hush your mouth, boy.